Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. If you'd like to call and get on the list, Brian Crock is producing. He'll just get your first name and he will need where you're calling from, but nothing else. So call 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. You know, we get together every Saturday morning to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, house plants, potting mixes to soil improvement, bugs, diseases, all that other stuff, dry ground, and uh, when to get rid of stuff. When to finally just say, no, I've spent enough time wasted on this particular plant, and it's not performing like I want. But please remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part in this great marathon called gardening. So it is not a sprint. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And again, thanks to Brian Crock. He is producing. Thanks to Brian Kelly. He's trying to get my computer up. <laughs> I don't know if I could do this. This is really pressure. I'm starting to sweat, and my armpits are stinking. Anyway. Yeah, I can tell. I know. <laughs> it covers the smell of the banana that I left for you. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are available at various locations. I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do uh, landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like to have me come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and go to the home page. That's right where my email address and phone number is. And I can be reached, and we can set up a time. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I usually get up about uh, 4.30 or so on Saturday mornings, and wow. When I logged in, <laughs> speaking of logging in, but anyway, when I logged in, I saw the temperature was in the 60s. What? I thought, oh, my gosh. So it's a perfect day. Wow, the breeze when I stepped outside the door was just magnificent. So I thought, good day for a trip to the hill. I made it down to Macklin and Daggett to Barra Park as I turned off Shaw onto um, Macklin I could see the fountain in the distance. It was very, it's very near the playground. It really was glistening in the morning light. The hedge of knockout roses was kind of lining the walkway and uh, right where I parked. The lawn had just been recently cut. Morning doves were sitting on power lines above, cooing, and also sitting very near. Usually when you get within 10 or 15 feet of them, they kind of go away. They fly. But uh, really a cool granite-edged stone bed, actually in the shape of Elba, in the shape of Sicily, and in the shape of Italy. So that's right there at the corner of, uh, you know, right there at the Barra Park corner. So along this bed space, or in filling in Italy, 
There's an explosion of color with yellow, okra, okri, and orange marigolds. White dianthus, red ones as well. Columbine seeds were floating above the foliage. Celosia, red and orange plumes, zoom upwards. Various daylilies are offering little color and texture differently. The statue of Louis G. Midge Barra with a great smile, embraced by liriope and knockout roses as well. The ball field with the benches and bleachers surrounded by a neatly painted green fencing. A row of upright junipers with thousands of blue fruits on them. I guess they're really cones technically, but they don't look like cones. They look like small little berries. With one of them still maintaining a history of poison ivy. That juniper has had poison ivy on it for decades. And it's perf- And there's also a perfectly shaped blue spruce with yellow creeping jenny as a ground cover underneath it. And uh, there's water bowls for your dogs, a fountain for people, and a faucet with a hose for plants. The trio of flowering cherries embrace a small memorial plaza with an American flag waving hello in this morning breeze. Benches to sit there and ponder. Honeybees were visiting this shrub, and for some reason I can't think of what this shrub is. It has pale purple flowers just now opening up, but I sat there and tried to think, I can't think of this. I thought, well, if I don't think of it, try to think of it, then I will think of it, but I didn't think of it, so I'll have to figure out what it is. And it's just now starting to bloom. And it reminded me this morning, the air and everything else. Trace and I visited Italy several years ago, and it felt just like St. Louis did this morning. So some great memories. So, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. I'm going to start off with South County, and that's where Marie lives. Marie, how are you today? Whoops. It looks like Debbie. Debbie's calling from Farmington. Hi, Debbie. Good morning. Hi. First year of growing ornamental squash, and the misshapen ones are growing real well, but the ones that are smooth and have a long neck, ends of them are rotting. What would cause that? Uh, It's probably, uh, it could be weather-related. You know, it could be nutrient-related. It could be lots of different factors. Just get rid of them because they're not going to get any better. And they're, they're going to okay. sap energy from the rest of them that look good. Okay. So. All right. So I need to get my soil tested then. Exactly. So like with, t- with tomatoes, when you get that blossom in rot, which is that rotting on the bottom, it's like la- lack of calcium. With the squash, I don't think it's the exact same thing, but, it, you know, it's probably something related to that. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. And with everybody, make sure that you know we had that really, really dry spell. If you stayed inconsistent with your watering, your especially your you know edibles, your vegetables, and all that other stuff are going to suffer as a result of that. Because I mean, sometimes it's a little tough to go out when it's really hot and water, but you got to do it. Let's go now to Kim, and Kim is from O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Kim. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lace-leaf um, Japanese maple, uh-huh. the red one, and it has been absolutely gorgeous for the past 12 years. It's like my gigantic bonsai project. I mean, I keep the dead wood off of it. I keep it well-trimmed so there's plenty of circulation. It's beautiful. Anyway, all of a sudden, about a month and a half ago, I started to develop a pretty large bald spot where there's no leaves growing at all. What do I do? There's not really too much you can do. Usually that they're just in a state of decline, 
Sometimes they can have a really long life, but other times they don't last nearly all that well. There's a gentleman that lives very close to me that I walk by his house a lot, and he had a Japanese maple that looked perfect, and then you could just start to see kind of what you're describing, and then went down, 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 and finally you just had to remove it. And he has a very, very green thumb. So usually if it starts to show signs like that, there's nothing you can do. Uh, just keep your fingers crossed and hope for the better. But I, personally, I would go ahead and hope for the best. But also, if you really like this thing, I'd get a new one and get a new one installed someplace where you can also enjoy it. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be, you know, I mean, Japanese maples are a little toughy, or especially that particular one, the lace leaf one, because it's grafted. So that makes it, you know, a little bit weaker. The root systems, our weather, all that other stuff can play a big role on how long they are going to live. Let's go now to Marie, and Marie is in South County. Hi, Marie. I was wondering, I had a couple questions. The one is uh, our dogwood has uh, some leaf scorch, and does that, would fertilizer help that or not? No. Leaf scorch is a result of the weather. Fertilizer might be detrimental to it, actually, because mm-hmm. fertilizer is, a, you know, alkaline. It's salty, and that could dry out the soil even more, and you could, have, you know, increase the problem. Is that just, uh, I guess nothing can be done to prevent that. It was just the weather. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, scorch is just, it's like sunburn. You know, mm-hmm. so even if it's in the shade and everything else, it could be, you know, the foliage could be burnt as a result mm-hmm. of the, the intense, not necessarily sun directly hitting the leaves, just the intense heat can cause a scorch. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I was, I was wondering. And also, on, on the scale on the Aranimus, is, um, I had... Um, uh, you know, a, a lawn service recommended some type of an insecticide for that. Is that would that work, or is this, should I just stay with that dormant oil? I would stay with it. This time of year, you can use a summer weight horticultural oil, mm-hmm. and basically, an insecticide, unless it's systemic, is not going to do a darn thing. Okay. So, and, and then a dormant oil you do in February. But realize that even if the scale's dead, it's not going to necessarily fall off immediately. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how long should I keep using the uh, the dormant oil, the summer weight oil? Basically, all the way up until uh, hmm, it's going to be weather dependent. But uh, I wouldn't, you know, you're only going to do it every like two to three weeks at the most. And mm-hmm. I would probably do it all the way up until maybe the end of September or something. After that, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't fool with it. Okay, very good. And we have some some. Um, some in the gra- in the grass there are some dead spots, and we can't figure out what that is. Would you have any suggestions? It could be a you know cool season grass area where the cool season weedy grass area, like an annual bluegrass, where it was growing, and then when the heat came, it just died off because it's an annual and it dies off when the weather gets hot. In those mm-hmm. spots, finally, you know, I've had a I had a couple clumps of uh, annual bluegrass in my lawn. And now finally I've got them to the point where, you know, they're gone. But, you know, my guess is it was probably, an you know, like a cool season grass like henbit or annual bluegrass or cool season wheat, I should say. And where they were, then once they die because of the heat, then, you know, those spots, it takes a while before the other grass is going to fill in, especially if you have a cool season lawn. If you have like a bluegrass or a fescue, they hate the summertime too, and so consequently they can't fill those spots in. If you've got a warm season grass like a zoysia, it should start filling in those spots. Yeah, we have fescue. Yeah, so um, it's 
the cool if, uh, the cool season lawns they don't like the summertime the uh oh what are they called with the uh june bugs uh the grubs? larva you talking uh, about the grubs Yes. Could it be grubs? If it was grubs, go out there, those spots that are brown, try to just grab the brown area, and if it lifts up very easy, then it very well could be grubs, but you would see the grubs on the surface. The reason why you can lift up brown spots due to grub damage is simply because they eat the root systems. And generally, grubs are not going to eat fescue. It's too, the root system's too fibrous. They're going, to eat, they're going to go more for bluegrass. I'm not saying you don't have grubs there, but my guess is it's not a grub problem. Great. Okay, thank you ever so much. Appreciate it. Well, great. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Ted, and Ted lives in Fenton. Hi, Ted. Hey, Mike. Thanks for your show. Appreciate it. I have an azalea that I need to move. Uh, it's in the same, I'm going to move it from one end of the garden to the other. What's the best time? to do that transplant. Wow. Is it in good shape? Has it been doing very well and everything else? Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, for probably, uh, well, I've been there since 2009, and it's flowered every year. I would say (laughs) you may mess up the whole sequence. You may, you know, kind of the whole thing by moving it. Are you, do you have to move it? Yeah, because we're, uh, we're redoing some landscaping in the back, so that's going to be right in the middle of where a grassy area is going to eventually be. Oh, so I I'd like to get it out of there. Well, probably what I would do is, you know, I wouldn't do it yet, but it, towards the end of August, I would pop it up, put it in a pot, a larger pot. I don't know how big this is. And then for one full year, keep it in the pot, but sink the pot into the area where you're going to be moving it to. So okay. in other words, the, it's easy to control the environment when a plant is in a pot. That's why nurseries, for the most part, anymore, grow most of the plant material in pots versus in ground and in burlap and those type things. So at the end of the one year, then you can think about pulling in the pot up out of the ground, taking the azalea out of the pot, and then planting it in that location. But put it in the exact location where you're thinking about moving it to. But that way you can control the water, fertilizing, and everything else within the pot as opposed to in the ground. Okay. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Yep. I appreciate your show. So, well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. As you know, it's not my show. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. So Susan lives in Lincoln County. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. I have a very sad-looking zoysia lawn this summer, and I can't begin to figure out what's going on with it. There's a patch of it down by the street, um, and my neighbor says that during the winter, when I'm not here, uh, when they plow the road, they just plow all the sand up or the snow up there. And I'm wondering if it's chemicals that are killing the grass. But whatever it is, there are places where it just looks totally dead, and it seems to be spreading. How how long is this? How long have you had this zoysia lawn? Um. Oh, it's. Probably started putting it in 20-some years ago. So a lot, it may be related to aging. Are you fertilizing it? Yes. Okay, so do you dethatch as well? Uh, yes, it has been thatched, but it's kind of hard to get somebody to do that out here. They want to come out and have a guarantee of maybe three or four jobs, and I can't do that. <laughs> well, tell them about front yard, backyard, side yard, blah, blah, blah. No, anyway, go out there with a leaf rake and rake the areas. You know, that are still you have any area that are still green? Um, well, yeah, but not a lot. It okay. Rake the areas green. that are green and see how much debris you get. 
And so it may be a combination of several different factors. There's also a disease called zoysia decline, which really seems to be impacting the older lawns like yours. So even though you've done a lot of things right, maybe there's a combination of whatever it happens to be. I don't The road chemicals, do they put salt on the roads in Lincoln County? I don't know if they do or not. I don't. I think so. Okay. Well, if you, you know, they may, but I wouldn't sort of just blame it on the, you know, on that aspect of it. But uh, and piling snow up on it shouldn't have that much of an impact on because we haven't really last year. I don't know. Did you have any snow? We didn't. I don't think. Not a lot. No. Yeah. So I wouldn't that I wouldn't think that would be the you know, the, it could be a contributing factor. But age, uh, you know, possibly zoysia decline. I would say dig up a plot that's green, six inch by six inch, and go find out where your county extension service office is and take it there or take it to your favorite garden center and have them take a look at it. Then also get a soil test done and find out if you've been fertilizing and fertilizing with the same fertilizer or the same numbers on the fertilizer bag for several years, that could be a contributing factor because of phosphorus and potassium on the fertilizer bag, the last two numbers, we're finding out once that sort of gets to a really high, you know, let's say high volume in your soil, it can, ha- it can cause damage to any kind of, you know, sod or lawn, whether it's zoysia, bluegrass, or fescue. So get a soil test done and have somebody take a look at some of it that's green and find out what's going on. Well, if it's a zoysia decline, can I put new plugs in there? Uh, I would probably... <laughs> You, you know, get it, scalp it down, all the brown stuff, scalp it down really well. Just let it sit. I wouldn't put, you know, I would probably just let things go for this year. And, you know, I mean, it sounds horrible, but wait until next year before you put any new sod or plugs in. Okay. Now, who does soil testing? Is there, is University there, of Missouri does soil testing. Is there a charge for that? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Just call them and ask them to come out, huh? Yeah. Well, they'll send, you know, they may send you a kit. There are private companies. Just go online and look at soil testing, and they'll, you know, some companies will send you a kit, tell you exactly what you need to do, and uh, you can just go from there. All right, because it's it's really looking sad. I, yeah. I don't know. What if to it's do looking that. sad right now, then it's it's dead. Let's put it that way. All right. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. Doesn't sound hopeful, but thanks anyway. <laughs> well, I could <laughs> no. Well, when the the eclipse comes. Dance under the eclipse, and you'll probably, no, you won't solve the problem. Anyway, thanks, Susan. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, in reality, my middle name is Rex, Michael Rex Miller. I'm going to change it to get rid of the Rex and go to soil test. These soil tests are very, very important. you got to do them. I mean, you got to stop this whole guessing game. You know, for some plants, they can grow very well, let's say, in a wide range of soil pH. That's the soil chemistry, whether it's alkaline, more salty, or, you know, acidic, more like vinegar. But things like lawn, they want, or turf grasses and several other things, they want a slightly acidic soil. So they want the acidic numbers, you know, or they want the pH numbers like 6.1 to 6.9. So 7 is neutral, so lower than that. So definitely do not put lime on your lawn just for the sake of, well, that's what Grandpa did or that's what whoever did or, you know, Uncle Bill down the street or anything else. Get this soil test done and stop wasting money and time and effort on trying to figure out what's wrong rather than just, you know, let's find out. 
It's very easy to do. It's like going to the doctor. Lorraine lives in. Oh, we got a problem. <laughs> uh, well, also a soil test, as I said, takes a guesswork out. What's the best time to take a soil test? Well, soil tests can be taken in the spring or the fall for established site, you know, established locations. Okay, so it looks like we're ready. So uh, let's go to Sandy, and Sandy is in Granite City. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. I listen to you every Saturday morning. I've been meaning to call you about the house plant that I have. Okay. Jade, and it's over 30 years old. Whoa. I know, and I I love it, you know, but all of a sudden, I mean, it's up on a pedestal about three feet tall and, mm-hmm. in the pot, you know. It, it's so large, and I don't know if it's the heaviness of it because it hangs down to the floor. Whoa. Uh, but all of a sudden, the leaf on it is not thick like they always are, you know, and I, I don't. I know I'm not supposed to water it too much. I don't water it too much. Right. Um, I added more soil. It's in a concrete pot. Um, it got so heavy in the pot it was in, we had to switch it to a one that would hold it better. Right, so it wouldn't um, flip off. Yeah. Um, and I don't. And I've got this os, Osmo coat that that a, my gardener guy told me was good for my plant food. You know. I give it that, but it's never it's never been like this before. I don't know if I'm what I'm doing. <laughs> You're probably doing everything just perfectly, but a 30 year old jade plant, you know, it's it's a little bit. Uh, I don't want to say past its prime, but I mean, it's had a very full, wonderful life living with you in your house. So you know, you can kind of expect those kind of things. Things just won't go on and on and on and on forever. What I would consider doing is maybe going ahead. And like maybe half the branches that are hanging way down, cut about half of those off. And if you want to, you can get some, you know, some cactus potting soil and root those, you know, cuttings in a pot if you want more plants or just get rid of them. But it may just need to be cut back a little bit to encourage some growth, you know, closer into the trunk. Okay, and I've been so afraid to cut it. I didn't want to damage it any, but that'd be okay to cut some of that. Right, and if you do cut it, and you want to give the cuttings away or something like that, or you want to repot them yourself, just make sure the tip of the section that you have cut off has is not wet. It's you know healed over. It's not going to be a scab, but when you touch it, it won't feel damp at all. So that's then you can just stick your finger in some potting mix for cactus and succulents. And then put the cutting down in there and just leave it alone. Okay. All righty, I'll try that because I hate to lose it. I just, I right. just love it, you know. But, yeah, but, I mean, 30 years old, it's going to get thin. Yeah. Okay. Even under okay. ideal conditions, which you've given it. Okay, because it's in my sunroom, but it's not right up against the windows either. So, you know, I know it doesn't want a lot of sun. But well, it can handle as much sun as you can give it. It won't hurt uh, it. Okay. Maybe I could try to have somebody move it around. (laughs) Yeah, one of those moving services. (laughs) Yeah, right. I can't move it. (laughs) Okay. Well, good luck, Sandy. Thank you so much. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Lorraine is in North County. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Listen, I'm calling you in regards to my my front grass. I have Kentucky bluegrass on Mm -hmm. there. And... My lawn has been perfect for almost 
30, 35 years. I've been here maybe longer. But anyway, all of a sudden, I got patches. I got patches. These patches, I don't know, they just came in to the lawn. And I wanted to know, should I put spray it? Or, I mean, should I put some killer on it? Or should I just leave it alone and and put the feed the grass? Is it time to feed the grass or what? No, it's too early to feed blue grasses. You're going to wait till September to do that. Early September, then you're going to do a cool season feeding. You can do it monthly all the way up until November. So definitely don't feed them. It's still hot. It's still summer, even though we're going to have a you know cool day or two. Remember what it was last week? It was 7,000 degrees, I think. Yes, sir. And yes, if sir. you try to force any kind of growth on a cool season lawn, when it's this hot, potentially, you are going to have a total disaster. Those individual spots are areas where you're having problems. Go out there and tug on the brown grass. See if it lifts up. And if it does, that means you probably have grub problems. And the grubs will be right there on the surface. So you can check that out. Also, what you can do is just dig a square, about an eight-inch square, of your sod where half of it's green and half of it's brown, and then go to your favorite garden center and ask them what they think the problem is because they can look at it, tell you if it's a fungus problem or you know whatever it happens to be. It could be female dog urine. It can be lots of different things that cause individual spots. So. So don't don't put any a weed killer down there. No, I, don't put that down. And wait till September to to put the the to feed the grass. Right. I mean, to feed the Kentucky bluegrass. Right. My lawn been perfect. It's been, but I know. I, I mean, I just can't understand. And then I look over at my neighbors, and they say they neighbor they've been having the problem, and now they look like it's like a disease. You know. <laughs> It could be. That's why I'm saying dig up a plot, half green, half brown. Take it to your favorite garden center. Let them look at it because they can look at the blades and tell you if you do have a fungus problem. Okay. Okay. All right. And just wait till September to, 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 to reseed it. Right. September for reseeding. If you haven't ever core aerated, that's a machine that will come out, take plugs out of the ground, put some compost down, reseed, then you can do the fertilizing. So there's probably a combination of several different things that are impacting it. Okay, so just just keep it watered and 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 do it like that. Just nurture it. Is exactly. That and keep your fingers crossed. Oh, I'm going to. Thank you so very much, and have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we still got about 10 minutes in this hour, so if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Are you web-siting? Not Internet, no. There is a huge amount of spider webs all over the place. So how do you know if something's a spider web versus a spider mite webbing? Well, spider webs are big, massive, and spider mite webbing goes between basically the leaf and the kind of the stem that's where the leaf is attached. So there's spider webbing everywhere. I'm seeing it on top of shrubs. My shrubs. I'm seeing it on top of ground covers like ivies down the street from where I live. So, and the spiders are good, you know, except brown recluse, of course. You know, they can virtually kill skin if they bite you. So just stay away from them. But they're not going to make the webbing that you're going to see anyway. They're going to be hanging out in some kind of scary place that you're going to now probably like crawling underneath your house if you don't have a basement. 
But anyway, so the spider webs, leave them alone. They're good. There's nothing wrong with them. They do catch a lot of insects that could be real trouble. So if you start to see some webbing, don't worry about it. It's going to be to your advantage. Let's go to John, and John lives in Shrewsbury. John, how are you? Uh, good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I've heard all this great advice about the lawn. Just real quick, I have, uh, I've been using melorganite, and I also have a problem with violets. And, you know, I have a sprinkler system, so I, you'd think my lawn would look better, but it just doesn't look very good. Violets everywhere. and So, uh, yeah, you have any advice for me? Well, violets, melorganite has nothing to do with controlling violets. you got to use weed killers, broadleaf weed killers, and if you've got a good colony of violets, it's going to take several years to finally eradicate all of them. So right. once they it. get established, they're killer. trouble. Yeah, I got some weed killer from the local nursery, you know, three parts weed killer and then detergent and one part, the other stuff, stump killer. But, yeah, so basically be patient is what you're telling me. Yeah, you're going to have to keep going after them, going after them, going after them, going after them, going after them to get rid of the violets. There's, there's no getting around it. And melorganite okay. is great. It's nice. You know, nutrient-wise, you know, they never really put kind of what the nutrient level is, but— you may not be getting enough adequate nutrients in for your lawn. So it's yeah. enough. It's great for your violets or other weeds, but it might not be enough for your lawn. So get that soil test done. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Yeah. Save yourself the grief. Yes, sir. Very good. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Certainly. And uh, also, you know, stop guessing. That's what I keep telling people. If you, you're guessing at what the problem is, you're wasting your time and effort because you may think it's something and you could be completely wrong. You may hit it just right. But before you put any kind of chemical down in your landscape, read the label first because when it's hot, when it's dry, when it's this, when it's that, you may be creating more of a problem than you're getting rid of a problem. So take the time to read the label. And, you know, I have a real problem because I'm 68 so my eyes are not necessarily as good as they used to be. So sometimes the font is a little bit small. So I just have to put on glasses to read it. But read it, not only just to read it, read it and understand it. And if you don't understand it, wherever you purchase it, if you're purchasing something, ask the people you're buying it from to tell you what this, all this means. So you don't make a mistake and create more of a nightmare than what you already have. Let's go now to Cindy, and Cindy is out in St. Peter's. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm having some problems with ants. They actually um, chewed off some of my uh, wiring to our septic system. What? Was, yes. <laughs> you got some really um, weird ants. Run. <clears throat> but I didn't know what um, specifically to put down to get rid of them. If they're down, your septic system, that's kind of low in the ground. Yeah, they went down into the septic system, and the guy said that they had, like, chewed the wires. Wow, I've never heard of something like that. So, like I said, these are scary ants. I would consider selling your house and running away and, you know, because, I mean, this is really a disaster. You know, ant control is going to be very, very difficult because if, they're, if you have that many that can actually chew, I don't know why they would bother chewing on something like wiring. Because that's well, not food. They don't just chew for the sake of chewing. Yeah, I don't know. That's what the guy told me. Yeah, so. so I would, you know, maybe that's the case. But I would just go to your favorite garden center, and there's, you know, specific things for ant control. But, again, it's kind of like violets. If you got ants that bad and that numbers, you're gonna, it's going to be multiple years before you're going to get your ants under control. 
is there any type of spray or anything? Uh, you just go, you know, there are several kinds, but it'll say ant killer on it. But what's your favorite, you know, the specific type your garden center may have? You know, if I tell you one variety, just ask them what they, you know, what they suggest for killing ants. Okay. That's the best thing. And that way you won't get confused or they won't be confused because, well, Mike Miller said this and blah, 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 blah. So just keep it simple. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. Uh-huh. And if anybody, we got time for one or two more calls. If anybody would like to give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Prevent dehydration. As I don't, if you weren't listening uh, last hour, I was talking to Brian Kelly about watering. Even if they're predicting rain, it's better off to go ahead and water your landscape, even though you see the big black dark clouds coming, especially if we've had a dry spell. Because what it does is soften the surface of your ground and it allows the water to penetrate deeper into the ground. So if you've got water that's just sitting on the surface, that means it's, your soil is probably highly compacted, high clay content, and consequently the water may not penetrate. It may just sit on the surface and just evaporate. So if you soften it first then we have a good rain like we did this past week, then it goes in deeper. So to really adequately, you know, moisturize root systems, you want to make sure that the water goes about six or eight inches deep, not just on the surface. That's why running your irrigation system just for a few moments doesn't work. So let's go to Mike, and Mike's on the road. Hi, Mike. I just uh, listening to the issue with the ants and the electrical. Yeah. Uh, you would be amazed. That I, I don't know what it is, whether it's the ozone around a relay uh, the, the arcing, but uh, the number of ants that I've found in air conditioning units around the contactors, and it's probably the same thing in the contactor operated her, her motor for her system. But they're just, they're drawn into it. They're just, you'll find thousands of them that are dead, alive, still crawling, just packed in it. I've actually had relays that wouldn't close because the ants had there's such a number of uh, dead bodies between the contacts. So they're actually chewing. I don't know what it is that brought them, but they go. So you've actually seen them chew insulation off wiring? Now, not so much the insulation. They kind of surprised me. But when, we, when he said that, he probably, it might have been a heat issue after that. But uh, Right. Uh, I've never seen them chew on a wire, but they are drawn to the, the contacts. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but they're, they're definitely there. Yeah, I agree with that because, I mean, I can even see that in my own home where they're more or less, you know, impacting more, you know, where there's more quantities of them. I've never seen enough where, you know, like what you're speaking of, but I've, oh, yeah. I've never, it's, ever it's, heard of them chewing on well, wiring. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really strange. Yeah, I've well, seen a lot of that. Well, great. Well, thanks, Mike. Right. And let's Thank go. You. Let's go to Joanne from O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Joanne. Hello. Hi. Yes, I'm calling from O'Fallon. Um, we have beautiful hydrangea bushes, and I got them on the north side of the house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have like three of them right there, and then I have three more. And they have had one. One of them had one bloom this year. Why aren't they blooming? Have they bloomed historically? I'm assuming they have. The big one, oh, the big one has been here for years, and it always blooms. It could be an age factor. You're not pruning it. Just leave it alone. You know, again, get a soil test done. Make sure you're doing some fertilizing with it because that's, you know, all those things are really crucial, and especially as plants get older. Okay, they're beautiful plants, but they're just nothing to them. Uh, so in the winter or the fall, what should you do with them? This year I cut them down to about a foot. You may have cut, you know, you may have cut off potential flower buds by doing that. 
don't prune. Not at all? Not at all. For at least one full year and see what happens next year. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Sure. I don't okay. know. You know, hydrangeas, <laughs> we are nuts about pruning those things. I don't know exactly why. Because certain ones, like the PG hydrangea, blooms in the spring. So if you, if you prune it in the summertime, if you prune it in the fall, you're eliminating any potential for flowering. There are new varieties which are forever bloomers, but still, if you prune them, you're going to mess up the whole sequence. But, you know, forevers are not 30 years old, so that's not the variety she had. But stop pruning hydrangeas. Just leave them alone. If they're in the wrong place because they're getting too big, well, that's your fault. So maybe plan on translocating them, you know, transplanting them to a new location where you don't have to prune them. But leave them alone. We are just nuts. We try to control everything in the outdoors. We want everything to look absolutely picture perfect, just like a catalog or something. And that's not really going to help. So you got any questions? You know where I will be for another hour. (sighs) Wow. What a perfect morning. Step outside and take a breath. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5g home for details t-mobile prioritizes certain t-mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion